Hello, 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 and welcome back to an all-new episode of The Darius Show. If you're new around here, here's how we do things. My name is Darius, and I watch a show, I talk about that show, you listen, and you enjoy. On today's episode, we're going to be breaking down a series that I didn't expect to enjoy so much, and that is The Boys Presents Diabolical. This is an Amazon Prime series, and as the name suggests, this is actually a spinoff of The Boys. Season one and season two were both major hits, so if you enjoyed that, I'm sure that you'll enjoy this as well, because, I mean, coming into it, I wasn't expecting much, but it was amazing. This is an anthology series that tells different stories through different animation styles that exist within the boys' universe. Super cool idea, and I had a lot of fun watching it, so I'm happy to break it down here. So without further ado, let's go ahead and roll the intro and get right into it. It's the Darius Show, y'all already know. Drop your booty to the floor, come give me some more. It's the Darius Show. It's the Darius Show. As I mentioned at the top, this is an anthology series that takes place in the same universe as The Boys. If you aren't too familiar with it, The Boys is a superhero series that's a darker take on classic superhero genres. This series never always shines a light into the goriness and the terrible nature that humans can be. And if you watch the series, you'll see nudity, you'll hear all types of swear words, and of course, you're going to see a lot of gory, violent scenes. They do not pull their punches. That being said, that series is also really funny, and all of those elements, that tone is here in this series as well. Even though you're getting different animation styles each episode, which is one of my favorite things about watching the series seeing the different kind of animation approach it'll take each episode, but it still manages to, while you're watching it, you know that you're in the boys' universe. I'm really impressed that in just two seasons, this this mythos, this world that they've created has such a strong and individual tone that even when you're watching a series like this that mixes it up so much, it's it still feels very presently within that same universe. And for that, I have to give it high praise. There aren't any running continuities from episode to episode. That being said, if you are a fan of the series, you'll definitely see some cameos and different scenes that give greater context to the series that we're watching in season one and two. Um, One thing that's really interesting, though, is that there are a few episodes that do directly give uh, deeper lore to characters, like that last episode of the season is really all about Homelander and an early stage of Homelander's career. That was, you know, very meaty and very... Uh, integral to the overall plot of the series, and there's a couple other episodes like that. However, most of these episodes are just kind of one-off stories. Some of them are really funny, some of them are just really creative, heart heartbreaking, and you know, each one has a different tone, but they all exist in the universe, whether that be earlier, alongside, or maybe even in the future in some cases. Uh, it all exists in the same universe, but they're pocket stories that are still really entertaining, but don't necessarily tie into tie into the greater plot. Episode one of Diabolical really caught me off guard. The animation style is immediately really silly. It's very like Looney Tunes or classic cartoon adventure, kind of polished, but the the dating of it is very clear. And it's one of those stories that's like Tom and Jerry, where there's music and in context to convey what's happening, but you're never actually getting any dialogue between the characters. And that was, you know, classic, classic silly animation style, Saturday morning cartoon if you will. Um, Coming into the series, that's definitely not what I expected. Even looking at the trailer, this is certainly the most um, 
surprising animation style that they take, at least the most jarringly different than what you would expect from a series that has to do with the boys. But the the lighthearted nature of it, at least at the beginning, was uh, very surprising to see. Uh, quickly, you realize that this is the boys and it is going to depict very dark concepts. And that is of our the main character in this is a he a scientist that works at Vought headquarters. However, he's very timid, very meek and mild. And he's involved with these experiments happening with babies that are that have the Vought uh, DNA or whatever you want to call it that gives them the powers. He catches wind that if the child does perform as it hasn't been, then it will be eliminated. And because he spent time with this baby, he's grown close with the baby and doesn't want to see that happen. And so the story that we see unfold is that of him breaking the baby out while trying to keep its identity a secret and evade its captors. All the while, the baby is exploring its new ability, which that is laser eyes, uh, a classic superpower, one that we've seen a couple times in The Boys already. But just watching, really what they're relying on is the silly humor of all the physical comedy of them navigating the world around them. Again, the jokes aren't said, you see them play out. So it's a very animation-specific type of storytelling. Super silly, had a lot of fun. It definitely reminds me a lot of similar cartoons that I saw growing up. And the story at the center of it was actually quite touching. This, This type of story could definitely be one that could hold... A narrative for its own series i would this story of you know the doctor who wants to protect this baby that he's grown close to and he's kind of you know haphazard about everything that he does and you know she's a super powered baby seeing their adventures would be a story i'd love to play out but yeah that was episode one it set the tone in a very positive way and things are just getting started in terms of how crazy things can get here Episode two was easily the funniest episode of the season, and this one was actually clearly done through the Rick and Morty uh, style. Uh, Quickly, you'll recognize Justin Roiland's voice all over this episode, and the animation style is immediately reminiscent of Rick and Morty. Um, The style is so distinct that you really can't miss it if you're a fan of that series, and the the tone, the jokes that they use, it's been completely Rick and Mortyified. It's as if it was a Rick and Morty episode that was themed within the boys' universe, not the other way around. Uh, this one was super funny, as you would expect from Rick and Morty, and it depicts a ragtag group of soups that don't have very good powers, and they've been kind of shunned by society and their parents, so they band together, and they come together to kill all of their parents in spite of how their parents treated them in the past. This episode sets up just some ridiculous gag-type characters, again, certainly ones that you would see in a Rick and Morty-type episode, and as you would expect, it lands with the humor every single time. It's super funny, and they actually introduce a ghost character who's kind of the main character of this episode and is the only survivor at the end of the episode. I, I really like her vibe. She they There's a subtle hint that she will come back into play later on, and she's she of any character that I saw in the series is ready to hop into the live action series. And it would be really cool if they did that type of incorporation. I don't know if they plan on doing that in this series or not, but she definitely made a good impression and the Rick and Morty style humor landed so hard for me. I can't I can't say it enough. I if they did a season two of this, I would love for them to return to one of their episodes being in this theme. I it would be great. Episode three was apparently a direct adaptation of the original The Boys comics. I personally am not a fan of the comics. I just really enjoy the series. So I have 
I can't speak to that in any way, shape, or form. However, watching this episode, this one felt the most like an episode of The Boys. And that's because we're immediately kind of getting the perspective of Billy Butcher. He's on it. I feel like Huey's the main character of The Boys, but Billy Butcher is kind of the heart of the series. He kind of drives it forward at all points in time. But anyways, uh, he's doing a very typical Butcher thing to do, which is kind of terrorize a local narcotics supplier to the soups. And he kind of has all this dirt on him and forces him to work with him, something that we know Butch would do every like every time, 10 times out of time. This is they nailed his character down perfectly. I don't think the voice actor is the same as the actor. I feel like I noticed uh, some a little bit of differences there. However, he was doing a pretty good impression. And that the humor that comes with Butcher's delivery at all times, live action or animated now is always is very consistent he can always drive a scene and that character is kind of the chemical x of the series that really gives it its charm Uh, and in this episode he basically ends up giving some narcotics to a new soup on the scene to kind of get revenge on him the animation that was displayed in this episode was super impressive if i had to compare the animation style to anything it might be like Invincible or something like the Justice League animated series, the more recent ones, or Young Justice, if you will. It was more classically superhero and certainly an animation style you can recognize and be comfortable with. Uh, it's the least jarring, perhaps, of these episodes to see play out. But yeah, it was. I was really impressed, actually, with the scenes when he was basically losing his mind and you know flying at speeds of, I think, Mach 2 was the highest that he ended up getting up to. And seeing the cameos of the other The Boys characters that we know and recognize from Homelander to Butcher and all the other superheroes in between was certainly delightful and a reminder of kind of the world that you're in. Something that helps keep this overall storytelling grounded as we keep jumping from, you know, story to story. Episode four was actually one of my favorite episodes. This one, this is where we really start getting more. There's a there's a run of episodes here where I think the series really hits its stride. And we're just getting these small, very, very small, just um, pocket stories that can exist in the Vought universe, but really don't dip their toe into the main story at all. And it's just so delightful to get treated to these uh, small stakes, but interesting concepts. You know, that's what an anthology series can really deliver on. And this episode is just a prime example of that. It follows this one character named Boyd, who's kind of uh, squirmish. He's a very low key guy, scrawny, uh, doesn't really get noticed by girls. And he ends up receiving an ad to try to do a trial run on a new Vought product. And it ends up being this cream that once you rub it into your face and into your body, your your self-image will manifest physically out to the world. Very interesting concept. It, I can definitely see this being a product that Vought could provide. A uh, quick side tangent, Vought's presence is overwhelmingly present throughout all these episodes. You hear the name Vought name dropped multiple times and you see it on uniforms in, in the background of buildings everywhere. I'd say that's actually the one running through line of this series is that it's really about Vought and Vought's um, effect on society at large within this universe. But anyways, uh, he's using this Vought product to kind of get his neighbor that he just moved in next to him to notice him, someone that he has a crush on. He really likes her freckles. And notice him, she does, once he rubs the cream into his body and he becomes jacked. And his mental image of himself is very similar to Homelander, very big, physical, and handsome stature. 
uh, they end up connecting with each other and she quickly starts to realize that he has this cream and starts using it herself. This manifests her body into more of a, uh, I guess, honestly, you could, you could say it's a furry type situation, but she ends up becoming a cat like humanoid and their relationship ends up being on fire. They get the attention of other people around them. It's, they almost become a local like internet celebrity couple. Of course, they do end up running out of this cream eventually, and that kind of leads to some tension between their relationship. The humor in this episode was just okay. Um, it wasn't anything crazy, even though it was. There were funny moments, for sure. And even the animation style is some of the more muted, but for some reason, it just makes a strong impression on me because you do do this kind of a deep dive into this couple's relationship and watch it develop over time. Eventually, once they're both out of cream, they do end up connecting with each other once again and kind of seek that love with each other's natural forms. The episode's end. The episode ends on a very crazy implication that our main character Boyd, as a side effect from using too much of the Vought cream, his head just ends up exploding. <laughs> uh, I think the implication would be that it would happen to her as well, given that she definitely used a similar amount to him. But it was a very uh, pull the rug from under you right right at the last minute type of ending. I don't know. Again, as I'm breaking it down, this ser- this episode didn't necessarily have a lot to say as compared to a lot of the other ones. However, it did manage to be kind of this weird sci-fi concept that really kind of stuck with me somehow. It makes a long impression on me. Okay, episode five is easily the weirdest, most out there concept that we get delivered throughout this anthology series. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, Aquafina like wrote and directed this episode, and she definitely is the voice actress in it. And it basically tells the story of uh, this female girl who ends up finding some compound V and out of curiosity wants to take it. And her power, what ends up manifesting is just that she poops and then her poop came to life and manifested to become this very, uh, I guess you could say cute type of uh, Instagram famous character. I don't know how to describe it, but our, our main character voiced by Aquafina ends up establishing a a great relationship with her new best friend which happens to be her anthropomorphic turd uh this one was really funny this episode like was certainly the most like surreal episode and kind of like out there concept but the humor was definitely there and it was just a ridiculous concept to see them navigate that odd situation and see the people who are end up after her by the end of the episode she really learns to lean into her new abilities and kind of rises an army of shits uh from the sewage and and take them to take them to fight and this is the point where we actually were getting some deep the deep cameos he was one of the funnier characters we knew from season one and two uh he was like i'm out i'm done this isn't worth the battle she low-key would be a very powerful villain and i found myself grossed out at points but also just completely charmed by this ridiculous story the style animation for this one was kind of like Pokemon Digimon era, if that makes any sense. It's a little bit anime inspired, but it is kind of has more American animation rounded features going on. And the storytelling is just a little a little uh, kawaii, if you will. I feel like that's kind of the direction that this one's moving towards. And with that animation style, that just undercut even more how ridiculous of a story this one was. Episode six starts to pick the pace up again, where we're entering like the final few episodes of the season or of the series, perhaps. 
and the animation style and the overall tone starts to take a more kind of conservative uh, direction and yeah, uh, goes for less shock value and goes for more um, classic boys kind of setup. Inter- interesting type of uh, direction. This one follows two characters that incorporate the Nubian title, or excuse me, Nubia title in their moniker. And they're basically metaphors for Black Panther and Storm, uh, very clearly in my opinion, from the Marvel Universe. Characters that have certainly had a history in their in their respective comics. And it's following how they met and bonded and kind of connected over fighting crime together. It's emphasis on the fighting. It's a, it's a very physical thing for them. We see their initial interaction, interaction and connection, and it's kind of immediately on fire. And then we cut to a few years later where they have a child. Uh, and then we kind of shift the focus from their perspective to the child's perspective. And she is kind of noticing that her parents are fighting a lot and, you know, there's a lot of turmoil. Um, one thing before I really progress the plot here, I want to talk about the animation style that we see when we first get introduced to these characters. We're going back to a more, uh, a focused, um, superhero classic genre animation style. So think Invincible, think Batman the Animated Series, Justice League, that type of style is very much so present for this episode specifically. And it lends itself to this type of storytelling a little bit better. Um, from the girl's perspective, she ends up trying to basically parent trap her parents because it's seeming like they're going to get a divorce. And she enlists the help of her, uh, of the original person that they had to fight uh, to to get a connected together in the first place. And this does a little bit of interesting world building to Vought International in general. And that is that we find out that this guy's basically an actor. He's not really a villain. And both of the the heroes were sent to that mission together to connect by a by a forced effort on the marketing team of Vought. It's kind of implying that there isn't much actual supervillainry happening that they're not aware of, that they're controlling it all, and it's all more so just a stage play to get more money and have more assigned faith within the superhero business, really. This is certainly themes that have been highlighted throughout The Boys before, but this was just an interesting light to kind of slip it in under the radar under because it is kind of the B-pot to what's really happening on screen. The two parents end up uh, kicking the kicking this guy's butt all over again and then their connection's right on fire again. Um, seeing, seeing the animation that they used for this was really awesome. You know, throughout the series, you're getting treated to some really sleek and, and really impressive just animation scenes here and there. But because the tone is so humorous and so ridiculous and out there and raunchy and gory, you you're kind of it, you're forgetting that it's happening and it's easy to not focus on that aspect of the series. But it is worth noting, you know, even though all of these animation styles are drastically different, each of them is impressive in their own right. Some more than others, but they they are taking an effort in each episode pretty much to deliver an, an impressive fight sequence or slick animation scene. Overall, after dealing with the toxicity of their parent of her parents' relationship, the child ends up just demanding that they should get a divorce. It'll be better for everyone involved. Mature, mature uh, point of view for her to have, and kind of a nice little button to this mini story. This is definitely one of the sweeter ones that we get treated to, at least until we get to the next episode. Episode seven, John and Sun He. This is another personal favorite of mine. I, you know, maybe I'll try to rank rank them all at the end, but. John and Sun He is the most 
This one almost felt like a Pixar short, right? So it follows this two very old couple. One of them is in a hospital bed, kind of on her deathbed. They convey all this information very quickly. Just in 15 seconds, they kind of set the stakes of what's happening for this couple. And that motivates John to kind of um, basically break into Vought headquarters, uh, sneaks a gun in, or a taser gun, to be fair. And he he basically ends up um, smuggling out a random compound V formula. He doesn't really know what it's going to be, but he figures that it'll give his wife a... Uh, a fighting chance because anything will be better than what what's implied at the beginning of the episode, which is that she'll be dead within the next 48 hours or so. And so, he, you know, this is his Hail Mary and he just pulls up on her and injects it right into her. She almost immediately starts having a reaction from it. And at this point, the different vault guards break in and, you know, they have their guns pointed at her and everything like that. They're They're immediately caught up to what's just unfolded in front of them. Now, from the perspective of the guards and everybody that's chasing this couple throughout the episode, especially if they know what her power is going to be and how unstable it's going to be, there's the justification for them to capture and eliminate her is totally justified, and they totally should, given the circumstances that they find themselves in. And honestly, John, uh, John in this situation, the husband, the dutiful husband, I understand that he really cares for his wife, but being told that she's about to die of old age at a very old age. This couple is not young whatsoever. Um, the fact that he would feel like it's rational to do this and, and you know, he continues to double down out along the way as he's leaving a, a army of bodies behind him. The amount of destruction that happens from his decision is ridiculous, honestly. He's kind of a terrible villain when you think about it. But if we ignore that a little bit, we can focus on... <laughs> how uh, sweet and how much how much he cares about his wife and, and their relationship, right? So anyways, uh, as the guards keep trying to attack her and they're trying to exit the hospital, her power is kind of taking on a mind of its own at this point. It's manifesting into this energy that stops anything from hurting them. However, it kind of sucks sucks up all every any living thing around. Uh, we see it consume all the guards, and then we see it consuming a full forest of animals. I mean, the destruction is ridiculous again. And eventually it becomes a monster on its own that's all-consuming. It's just consuming everything around it. And it ends up become, coming down to the the woman who initially had this power, the old lady, to kind of take down this monster. Right before she does, we get a heartbreaking conversation between the two couple, John and Seen Hu. Um, and it, it, it was very heartfelt and sentimental, you know, they're regarding their love for one another. And there's kind of a metaphor here for John having to accept his wife's death and that she's exiting the world, but she, it is her who's laying down her life to kind of clean up the mess. Again, this one was really sweet. It's kind of like, you know, Pixar's up meets a nice anime adventure and the animation style reflects that as well. This one was very anime influenced perhaps the most of the bunch here. But yeah, again, anyone who watches the series, I know I think that this episode will make a strong impression on everybody who gives it a chance. All right, now that brings us to episode eight, which acts as the finale to this season. And this one actually follows Homelander. Uh, very fittingly, I'm happy that they stuck the landing with an episode that did feel very grounded within the main continuity. We see a lot of characters that we've... we. We see all these characters way earlier on in their timeline. If I had to guess, I'd say 20 to 30 years prior to the main story that's taking place. 
and we see Homelander in his debut, his debut at Vought, literally the first time that he goes on stage. And we see at this point, you know, Homelander at least seemingly has positive intentions. He doesn't he hasn't morphed into the terrible person that he is when we when we see him later on at least not quite yet what's also interesting is how much we're getting a glimpse into his trauma and and how he was raised raised throughout the episode you're getting glimpses of the type of torture that they put him through growing up and it's clear that the main message of the story is that Vought is the true villain behind everything because they make create and cultivate monsters um that being said Homelander is not excused from the actions that we see him take later on throughout the series or later on even in this episode. However, it's interesting to see that they're showing you so much of the terrible things that they put him through that it's kind of hard to fault him for any decisions he makes. He's kind of innocent and is just being controlled by everything that's going on around them. After being properly gaslit by, I forget, the female Vought worker who kind of exists as Homelander's mom slash um, sexual fixation in life uh, she properly gaslights him about Black Noir for whatever reason that he's watching you and his purpose is to take you down if he needs to and you know so on and so forth however he goes on this mission and he this is like his first mission and he ends up jumping the gun out of fear that Black Noir will steal all of his thunder and what he does is he he genuinely tries to help and he's kind of busting up a hostage situation and at first he's doing a fairly decent job he's you know he's not being overly aggressive and he's just getting the job done by the book very much so and once he eventually pulls up to the actual scene where everything's really going down um you know just being naive he ends up making you know he he basically laser eyed a gun that was in somebody's hand he thought that this would be neutralizing the threat and you know, innocent wide-eyed Homelander didn't realize that it would cause an explosion and automatically kill the said hostage that he was trying to protect. Now, it's a very interesting ethical debate, you know, who empowered Homelander to get in this position without knowing kind of a basic uh, fact about a gun or how those properties would react together, or or where where does the fault really lie? And, you know, he, he clearly didn't have the intentions of hurting the people in that situation, but however, he did. What happens next is, you know, the room around him starts reacting in a big way, as you would, and start calling him and looking at him as a monster, which ends up pulling in his previous trauma that we've seen before, and we get some extra flashes of that in this moment as well. And what ends up escalating further is that he ends up wiping out everyone around him. This also leads to a fight between Homelander and Black Noir. Uh, I like this a lot. Seeing I, They've never really explained what Black Noir's power set is. However, I have heard some implications in the comic books that he has a he could be very similar to Homelander in a few different ways. However, what we see here is nothing, nothing crazier than some enhanced super physical capabilities with in- extreme intelligence and quick reaction times. And it's very interesting to see how easily he was able to outmaneuver and hold up his own against Homelander and kind of fool him very easily. This leads to a very a very huge nuclear explosion and rubble destroying all the debris around him, uh, leaving only the one uh, witness to kind of lay claim to everything that Homelander's done. Homelander's initial, reac- in- initial reaction to this is to eliminate her, and right before he does, Black Noir takes her into his arms and ends up doing it himself. He then writes a secret note to Homelander that we, the audience, don't actually get to see. 
So that's very interesting. There's some type of communi- communication between them already that we, the viewer, don't know. So that is a mystery that they've set up to be maybe revealed throughout season three or throughout a second season of Diabolical. I'm not sure. That's really I'm very intrigued by that. However, these two characters end up finding common ground and are on good terms at this point. And Homelander is able to stick the landing in his press interview and still somehow make his ratings able to go up in this initial interaction. He he still takes it in stride as a W, as we see Homelander often being able to do. But yeah, super interesting. I mean, this this episode alone elevates the boy series a lot by enriching our Homelander character. You get, we get a lot of extra context to him, and you this is effectively his backstory episode, and it kind of confirms a lot of things and how he's raised, and kind of shifts the focus a little bit off of him and on to Vought as a larger corporation entity. It also increases the intrigue of Black Noir, who was definitely an interesting character, but they never dove into in the first two seasons so that's definitely set up a lot more intrigue and mystery for us to dive into moving further but yeah that's just about going to bring our conversation to close did you give the series a watch which one was your favorite episode i gotta say the john and soon he episode is probably going to be the one that leaves the largest impression on me that or episode two the rick and morty one was uh that one was really cool too uh, at least comedically speaking but uh, lore-wise, it didn't really add anything to the table. But yeah, what'd you guys think of the season? And uh, if you gave this review a listen, I really do appreciate it. And thank you for giving this show a chance. But yeah, that's going to be it for today. And stay tuned for the next episode. We'll be out in just a few days. But that's been it today. My name is Darius, and I love you.